Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians to become world-changing disciple makers. I'm Paul Watson, and this is Rebecca Ewing, and you're listening to the CDM Podcast. Like, share, five-star rate, and review this podcast. You can download the CDM app. Come join the growing platform where you can access our praying community of disciple makers and learn from our podcasts, blogs, and videos that will help you know how to make disciples in your life and ministry. While you're on there, you can support this podcast by following the link to our Patreon. Your support allows us to continue to offer and create new content and support disciple makers like you as you transform your communities with the gospel of the kingdom. And as a thank you, those who give at least $5 a month will have access to our premium content that dives even deeper into the challenges and tips for disciple making. Recently, Paul and Rebecca presented the ideas of disciple making movements and discovery Bible study at the new Wineskins Conference in front of a live audience. It had such a great response, we wanted to share it with you this week on the podcast. Premium podcast subscribers can watch the video of this presentation. To join our premium subscribers, go to patreon.com slash faithworks. So we've talked a lot about the kingdom of God yesterday. And I want you to imagine what it would be like if the kingdom of God transformed your city. Because you understand that Jesus, when he came, wasn't talking just about a kingdom to come but a kingdom that's at hand. He spent his entire ministry proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand, that it was his purpose to preach the good news of the kingdom, that we are to seek the kingdom, and that we are to pray that the kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as you heard my dad say yesterday, Jesus sent his disciples into, uh, it, out with the message that the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, also, Jesus said that we would experience the promise of the mustard seed, that a, a small mustard seed planted would grow into this magnificent tree that would give shelter to the birds of the heavens. And so we should ask ourselves, are we seeing this kind of growth if the kingdom is at hand? Unfortunately, we're not. Uh, In fact, just recently, a Pew Research came out, and it says in the early 1990s, about 90% of adults in the U.S. identified as Christians. In 2007, it reduced to 78%. Today, in 2020, uh, 2022, that number is even further down to 64%. So 1990s, 90%, now 64%. Depending upon whether the rate speeds up, slows down, stays the same, current projections show that Christians would be shrinking from 64% to between 54 and 35% by the year 2070. So guys, despite all of our programs, our churches everywhere, I live in the Bible Belt, there's a church just about on every corner, Uh, and all of our ministries, fewer and fewer people are being changed by the gospel of the kingdom. And so if Christ promised us this explosive growth, then what are we missing about his kingdom? 
if the kingdom of God is at hand now, we would be experiencing the promise of the parable of the good leaven of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is supposed to be like a leaven that spreads, permeating and changing permanently everything. The gospel of the kingdom should be permeating and spreading through all peoples. There shouldn't be pockets of people groups and systems of our culture that are unaffected or unchanged by the gospel. You know, Jesus himself said in Luke 4.18 that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed. The gospel of the kingdom should be affecting and changing our entire society and our entire culture. Is it really the kingdom of God if we still have abortion? Is it really the kingdom of God if we still have human trafficking? Is it kingdom of God if we have neglected orphans, if we have unreached lost, if we have corrupt governments in the world around it? And I would say, no, it is not. So if the people of God aren't at large addressing these problems within our cities as an entire people, not just individuals, but as a people, then something is wrong. We're not experiencing the kingdom of God. So also consider the parable of the pearl of great price. In this parable, it says that a man sold everything that he had so that he can be able to get this pearl of great price. And so Christ is trying to tell us that the kingdom is worth everything, but here it is. The one who seeks the kingdom must be willing to give up everything in order to be able to see it happen. But is that what we're seeing nowadays? Jesus said that in order to be a disciple of his, we have to deny ourselves daily, that we would have to hate father and mother and children and spouse and even our own lives in comparison to him. But we've substituted this idea of being a disciple of Christ with being a good Christian. And our definition of a good Christian no longer includes the Great Commission. Just come to church, have a nice family, have a nice life. You're going to get to heaven someday. This is not what Jesus described. And it's not what is going to allow us to be able to see the kingdom. So if we are not seeing these promises and the fruit of the kingdom of God, despite all of our best efforts... We need to ask ourselves, what do we need to do then in order to be able to see this kingdom happen? Because whatever it is, it's going to be worth it. You know, you've heard from Jenny as she sat there and said that we need something new. And I completely agree with her. And you heard from my dad last night talking about disciple-making movements. And I want to make sure that you understand what we mean when we say disciple-making movements, because my father and I were in the room and in the conversations when we came up with that definition. A disciple-making movement is when you see a hundred new churches started in a three- to four-year period that have hit at least four generations deep in multiple streams. Now you're looking at me and you're saying, oh, Paul, what do you mean by church? 
Well, this is the definition we use among all the churches that we plant. A church is a group of believers who've been baptized in the name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who meet together regularly to read his word, pray together, worship together, encourage one another, and who depart the gathering, endeavoring to obey all the commands of Christ and transform their families, their community, and their nation. When dad was talking about churches last night, the average church in India was between 60 and 72 people. At that time, guess what the average size church in North America was? Between 60 and 72 people. So I want to make sure that you understand exactly what we're talking about when we talk about disciple-making movements that are happening around the world. We're not just two or three or 20 people come to know Jesus and profess their faith and are baptized, but instead millions of people are coming to know Christ, and tens of thousands of churches were planted and formed and established in just 18 short years. For me, my journey in all of this began when after working alongside my father, training up disciple-making movement leaders around the world, I took over leadership of a homeless shelter and recovery center in downtown Portland. And as I was on the train to work one day because my Ford pickup broke down, because that's what Ford pickups do, <laughs> God was sitting there, he looked at me and he said, Paul, what are you doing? And I said, I'm on the train to work because that pickup you gave me broke down. And he said, no, Paul, what are you doing? And I said, Father, I don't understand the question. And he said, I've trained you from a young age to reach the hardest to reach peoples on this planet. Why are you not using what I trained you to do to reach the hardest to reach peoples in the United States, in Canada, and the global north? And that's why, ultimately, that conversation led to starting Contagious Disciple Making. It was about the time that Dad and I wrote the book, Contagious Disciple Making, because we desperately need to see disciple-making movements happen in North America in order to see the kingdom of God happen here. And now both Rebecca and I are coaching and working with church leaders and laymen to learn how to apply these same principles of movement right here in our context. It's why I was in Fort Worth not two weeks ago speaking before the clergy at the, at the invitation of Bishop Reed to talk about how we can be a part as a movement of God, as a church of God, and seeing disciple-making movements happen here, the kingdom of God happen here here on earth, as it is in heaven, as we all pray as part of our liturgy all the time. Because we need to know we can't just try harder doing what we've been doing this whole time. We can't just try to do it better. We need a new way of seeking his kingdom and establishing it here with him and together here on earth. First off, we need a new way of reaching the lost. You know, our, our situation here in North America is that actually getting more and more similar to places like the Bujpuri in India. We're having more and more people that do not have a Christian worldview or any basis of that. 
there's more and more hostility and prejudice towards Christianity. And there's more and more refugees and immigrants around. So if we were to just go up there and tell them about, you know, a gospel presentation about Jesus, except right now, they wouldn't know what we're talking about. We're in a new play area here, and we have to have a different way of approaching them. And so instead of asking them to come to us, we need to go to them where they are in their communities and develop relationships with them where they do business, where they have life, where they are. And as we have relationships with them, we'll have deeper and deeper conversations with them and we'll have opportunities to share stories from the Bible. Just a natural conversation. And those that respond we can invite them to read the Bible for themselves in something we call Discovery Bible Study. Now, in case you don't know what Discovery Bible Study, it was formed by David Watson and also Paul Watson and others that have come along to be able to create this set of questions and a set of scripture lists that helps people read through portions of the Bible from creation to Christ and Imagine a group of people who don't know Jesus sitting around reading Genesis 1 and then saying, so what does this passage say about God? What does this passage say about us? Man. And if this were true, how should I change? And who should I share this story with this next week? Imagine if we have all of our different church people now going out and starting these little groups, popping up everywhere in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods, and all the little places where people are in community, and these people who don't know Jesus are reading this Bible in this way, how that would change the faithful culture. Because now we're going among them and letting the word and them acting according to the word and sharing it with others spread in and throughout their communities and for us to see that growth. And that will help us to overcome the cultural and social barriers that we see around us and all of the prejudices and people who have been hurt by the church. It goes beyond that because now it is where they are. Just read it for yourselves. See it for yourselves. A friend of mine, a pastor of a church in New Jersey, his name's Tracy, uh, just took our class and he said, okay, I want to try this out. And he had a, a neighbor that was from Bangladesh. And he got to know, reach out and start know, you know, developing a relationship with his neighbor. And they really got to know. And Tracy said, you know, I really made the ultimate sacrifice at getting up early, early, early in the wee hours of the morning to watch the, the cricket championship games. Now, and he said, Paul, that was the craziest thing I've ever done. Because who watches cricket? <laughs> and as he got to know his neighbor, he found out that he had grown up in a religious family, but he had chosen to be an atheist because he saw that religion was at the heart of all the problems that mankind faced. And so Tracy listened to him and continued to build relationship. But one day the guy was going on and on about how, how the Bible was terrible and how the Bible was horrible and Christianity was terrible and all religions were bad. And Tracy just finally looked at him and said, well, have you ever read the Bible for yourself? And he goes, no. Well, would you like to read it with me? 
I'm just read some stories and ask some questions and see how it goes. The guy goes, well, okay. <laughs> and Tracy said, Paul, I'd like to tell you that it went like a textbook discovery Bible study should go, but it did not. <laughs> and he said, we got in there and we started reading Genesis 1 and uh, the creation story. And as this man sat there and read the creation story, every couple of verses he would put down the Bible, he'd go, this is so stupid. <laughs> How could anyone believe this rubbish. And Tracy is just going, oh, Lord God, this is not how they told me it would go in the class. <laughs> he said, but they told me that I was supposed to rely upon the Spirit of God and trust, like Dad said last night, that the Spirit of God would work through His Word to draw him. And so I kept going, and I just said, keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. And when he was done, he put the Word of God down on the desk and kind of pushed it away, and he sat back and he said, I'm going to have to read this whole book. <laughs> Our God is faithful to all of his promises. And as far as I know, Tracy is still reading the Bible with his neighbor, and God is at work drawing him. In fact, the other day, Tracy told me, that he was reading it with his neighbor via Zoom. This was during COVID. And uh, his wife, who had never been on camera, started answering questions. <laughs> God doesn't just draw one, but he draws families into the kingdom. And this works because they're wrestling with the Bible, not with us. That's right. And that makes all the difference. That's right. You know, we also need a new way of engaging our culture. And this is very integral to my story. You know, I grew up um, in a very good Bible-believing church to a family in which my dad was the basically head deacon of the church. We did everything but basically preached the Sunday morning service for our pastor. She, I was, even, she even played the piano for the church at the age of, what, nine, ten? Nine. She nine. hates it when I tell people that, but I think it's <laughs> pretty awesome. Well, so in other words, you obviously. We, we were very involved in church, and so I knew how to do ministry. You know, I was about all part of the programs, including the WANA programs. Anybody out there? WANA programs? Anyway, uh, I w we were doing all of those particular programs, but as I was an adult, I started reading the book, The Hiding Place by Corey Tim Boone. And I was just struck, not just about the atrocities that were happening at the time, but the church at the time how that predominantly the church just kept their head down, didn't do anything. But it was a few people like Corey Tim Boone and her family that said, we would be willing to die for these people because that's what Jesus would do. Mm. And I just remember putting down that book and saying, God, I know how to do ministry inside the walls of this church, but I don't know how to do it out there. I don't know how to be able to address these problems or to reach these people. But if you show me, I'll do it. And God just took me on a journey. I started getting involved in pro-life organizations, and I started uh, getting involved uh, somewhat politically. I was the South Carolina Pro-Life Coalition leader for a presidential campaign. But really, through all of that, it just showed me how much that Christians are not involved within these hard issues and within the Great Commission. 
And so I started really saying, we need to be able to do this together because the kingdom of God is not just supposed to happen within the walls of our churches or our homes or our hearts. It's supposed to happen outside, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our cities. That is where the kingdom of God is supposed to be expressed. But we've accepted the lie that we need to keep our Christian faith within the walls and the church and leave the government and everything else alone. And we just stay over here nice and quiet in our churches and do all of our proselytizing there. And that's what we've done predominantly. But this is not what Christ wants us to do. And this is what we can't do in order to be able to see the kingdom. And so, you know, unfortunately, as well, a lot of our, I know that there are a lot of people inside of this room who, like me, have been on the front lines of some of these issues. And you know as well as I do how hard it is because you need more people. (laughs) You need more people to join you. But even furthermore, I want you to imagine the possibility of us combining the power of engaging in these issues along with the power of movement, along with the power of reaching people along with redeeming the systems, along with trying to stop the evil deeds. We're also reaching the people within them and starting discovery Bible studies among the people that we're working alongside and that we're reaching out to. And so now we're not that, that marriage between doing good works and making disciples are together again in this cohesive thing that all of our ministries work together to be able to see this kingdom come. One of the systems that we look at is the uh, justice and correctional facilities. I have a friend of mine named Jack that instead of retiring when he was done being a pastor and picking up a fishing pole and going fishing, he decided to strap on a thrust vest and go into a maximum security prison in Amarillo, Texas, the Clemens Prison Unit, and work with the G4 prisoners. Now, the G4 prisoners are a step under the ones that keep in solitary confinement all the time. In order to be a G4 prisoner, you have to have done something horrible to get into prison. And then once you're in prison, you have to do something horrible to become a G4 prisoner. You're in your cell 22 hours a day. And you have two hours of very observed free time to yourself-ish. And when Jack went into the prison, he, he was sitting there trying to, as a chaplain, he's sitting there trying to figure out, how am I going to help these prisoners? Because everyone told him, oh, don't go to those prisoners. And he said, well, that's where the kingdom of God needs to be, isn't it? And so he went in and started a discovery Bible study with some of the believers that he found within the prison. He began to try to train them, and he was struggling, and he read Contagious Disciple Making, and he's like, I want to do this here. And then he reached out to us, and we said, okay, Jack, you don't have to do this alone. We'll come alongside you. We'll figure this out together. And we began to work with Jack. And over the next few months, with the support and prayers of a community of people, and with us wrestling together to figure out what does it see, not just to see prisoners become converts to Christ, but become disciples and disciple-makers. 
And that small group of believers began to carry the gospel of the kingdom into all the cell blocks and floors and buildings that Jack couldn't get into without filling out a mound of paperwork. That one Discovery Bible Study group became a disciple-making community, and that disciple-making community began to go out and start Discovery Bible Studies among the prisoners, and they started 27 Discovery Bible Studies that reached the fifth generation inside the prison. There were over 300 men who were incarcerated who were reading God's Word every single week across all of those Bible studies, and many of them were baptized. And if you're around me a long time, you'll hear me say, and if that was all the story had, then that would be a good story. But there's more. You see, just one of the first guys that he worked with in the prison, a believer who is responsible for carrying the gospel throughout the prison, his name is Greg. Greg is out now after serving 19 years and a day. And Greg... He's sitting in class with me next to priests because he says, I wasn't made to be a prisoner. I was made to make disciples and to honor the kingdom of God. And he's already started disciple-making community outside the walls of a prison with men and women who struggled with alcohol and addiction and who had been prisoners themselves. He tells me about going to the gym and sharing discovery conversations, stories from the Bible with the people he meets there, and he longs to see the gospel spread throughout those who had been formerly captives, but now have been set free. Jesus said, I came to bring liberty to the captive, and we're seeing a foretaste of that right now. What an honor it is to work with him. We also need a new way of doing church. We believe at CDM that the reactivation of the church is what's really going to help us see this happen where we are. Most people say, well, the legacy church, they're just going to be bystanders, maybe funders uh, of movement or something. But we believe that if we equip our our churches, to be able to equip their people, to be able to go out and make disciples, that we won't just sit on the sidelines, that we will be catalyzers of movement in and throughout us. You know, so even before I went into CDM, you know, and I had united with others to try to figure out how to be able to activate and mobilize people into the Great Commission, Great Commandments, I found out pretty quickly what didn't work. (laughs) And the reality is, is that, you know, what we've been doing is incomplete. You know, trainings and rallies and even conferences do a great job of highlighting the need and exciting people to go out there and do it. But what we really need after that are churches and communities of people that say, let's do this daily 
weekly together. We need people who meet weekly saying, how are we going to make disciples this week? How are we going to reach the lost? How are we going to raise prayer for our city? And that's why with CDM, we have developed this small group idea called the Discover, uh, excuse me, Disciple-Making Community. And so a lot of people think of Discovery Bible Study, but the idea is that that's, we say that's for unbelievers. Disciple-Making Community is for believers to be able to further equip them to know how to develop relationships with the lost again, to know how to have those conversations, to start discovery groups with them, and to just do this as a natural part of life and what we do in and throughout life. Imagine church growers developing relationship with lost coworkers through their hobbies. Any Harley Davidson drivers in here? Oh, come on, I know some of you priests have Harleys. (laughs) You can use that to connect with people who don't know Jesus. What if it was through volunteering? What if it was where people worked? What if it was everywhere we went as as believers, whether we're getting our coffee or we're sitting on a bus? What if we were about connecting with people and making disciples there? Our, our goal at CDM is to plant disciple-making communities in every church and across cities to activate believers into living out the Great Commission and the Great Commandments as part of their everyday life. And we coach and we train and we create resources for these groups. And also we work with church leaders to shift and adjust the current systems and culture to support and equip their congregants to make disciples, to develop leaders, to produce disciples rather than just people who come in and attend church. Uh, One of those churches is Cornerstone Church in Liberty, Texas, just outside of Houston. Michael Dorsett, you'll see him at our booth. He's sitting right here in in the front here, is, is one of the pastors at that church. And we're working with Cornerstone Church to do just that, to activate the people to be disciple makers. And one of those people that I love, she's a hero of mine, her name's Darian. And Darian's part of a disciple making community and she sat there and said, she worked at a local daycare center or child care facility and she said, I wanna go and start a discovery Bible study with my coworker. And so she walked in and she had a conversation about what they'd done that weekend and she's like, I attended this this, uh, training on how to read the Bible. And her, co- and, and her co-worker asked about it, and then she goes, oh, do you want to read the Bible with me? And she said, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. And I'd like to tell you that that Bible study went on and started a movement, but it did not. It never actually happened. A speaker who is telling negative stories from the stage. How does this work? Um, but what ended up happening instead was later on that day, Darian got invited into her manager's office and said, Darian, did I hear you talk to your coworker about reading the Bible? And Darian was like, yes. Um, would you do that with me? And Darian's like, I'd love to. And so she began to read God's word with her manager 
And as, as Rebecca said, one of the stories we always ask is, who could you share this story with? And so she began to go back home and to share the story with her husband and her child. And her husband began to see such a transformation in his wife that he would sit there and wait by the door on the days that she was reading the Bible with Darian and say, okay, what, the, what was the next story? What was the next story? And that resulted in this woman starting a discovery Bible study with her family at the dining room table and I heard from Michael that he thinks he heard a report that the daughter was baptized just recently. You see, God's Word does what it promises. His promises are good, and He wants the kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lastly, guys, uh, we need a new way of working together. If we can get a vision of not just trying to fill up our own current churches, but instead multiplying new ones, because there's no way our current buildings can hold all the people. To multiply new ones made of new believers all throughout the area, and it doesn't have to look just like our church. If we can grasp that together, then we can, like never before, as churches across the diocese, across a landmass, be able to work together to reach all peoples, to be able to band together to do good for our cities, to be able to address the problems and issues together, to raise prayer for, to see the kingdom come where we are. And that is something, again, that Paul and I are doing. We're going into places like San Diego and Dallas-Fort Worth and saying, how can we, as an entire area, see the kingdom happen together? And we have leaders in room talking to each other and lay people talking to each other. How can we make this happen and planning and working together? And that's what we want to see happen everywhere we are. So we've been talking about a lot of different things. And sometimes it's really hard in a, in a story or in, in a talk to come down to where you can walk out concrete and understand exactly what we're talking about, because there's a lot of points. And I have one last story that I want to share with you that I think brings it all together. A friend of mine was a missionary in Papua, Indonesia. He'd served there a long time. He'd had malaria more times than he could remember, and all the effects of extended malaria medication use in his own body. His name was Jim, and his wife was a jungle nurse, meaning she had no formal nursing training, and if the things she did to save lives in the jungle would probably get her arrested in the United States, but it was the best nurse that they had. And Baba, uh, Baba Jim and his wife were known as holy people, people that when they prayed to God, he answered their prayers. And one day they got a phone call and said, Baba Jim, Baba Jim, and Jim recognized the man after he introduced himself, and he said, it was the owner of the local bordello, the house of ill repute, a house of prostitution. And he said, Baba Jim, my girls are sick, and everything we've done to heal my girls isn't working. Would you come and pray and ask God to heal my girls? Because when you pray, he answers. And Baba Jim, being a wise man, said, let me talk to my wife and get back to you. <laughs> and Baba Jim got off, you know, got off the phone, and he, and he sat there, and he went to talk to his wife, and they prayed together, and they felt God saying, we don't just want you to go and to refuse to go. 
We don't want you to go and to rescue just one out. We want you to, we want you to go and establish the kingdom of God in that bordello. So Baba Jim and his wife went to the bordello, and they began to talk to the owner, and they talked to the girls. And you've got to understand, Baba Jim and his wife were the first people to talk to these girls by name without having any intentions of taking advantage or of abusing them. And they went to them one by one, and his wife would talk to them, and he would pray for them. And at the time they were done, he looked at all of them and says, well, do you mind if we come back next week to see how God's been answering our prayers? And the girls and the owner of the bordello were like, oh, yes, please come back. And they came back the next week, and they prayed for the girls. And they came back the next week, and they prayed for the girls. On the fourth week, they came back. They said, oh, do you mind if while we're here, we share some stories from the holy book? And by this time, they loved Baba Jim. They saw him as their grandfather. And so he began to read stories with them, starting in Genesis and working his way to Jesus. Now, when we read stories with people, we ask the question, what does this story say about God? What does it say about people? If we believe it's true, what difference would it make in our lives? How would we have to change? And then, who would we share this story with? And you've got to understand, prostitutes in this country, just like many countries, are not accepted as part of society. They had no friends. The only people they talked with were one another. And so that question became problematic until as they discussed among themselves, they realized that they did have one group of people they could share the story with. (laughs) And that was their clients, the men who had abused them. Don't ask me how this happened. I don't want to know. But at the end of conducting business, the prostitute would look at the man and say, you know, I heard a story this week that I'd like to share with you. And he would say, okay. And she would share the story that she heard from Baba Jim and Baba Jim got from the Bible. And then he would go home and he would sit down, since it was a Muslim country, he would sit down with perhaps his wives and his children and say, you know, when I was out today, I heard an interesting story. And he would tell his family the story that he heard from the prostitute, that the prostitute heard from Baba Jim, that Baba Jim got from the Word of God. And as these young ladies were were reading and hearing these stories, the promise of John 6 began to work in their hearts. And one day they went to bed prostitutes. And the next morning they woke up realizing that they were princesses and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the, and the doors closed forever on a house of prostitution and opened up on a brand new church. And if that were the end of the story, that would be a very good story. But you remember those men? They too came to know Jesus and their families as well. And they were reconciled together with their families. And they worshiped at church, sitting next to the very prostitutes that he had once abused, proclaiming the praises of Jesus Christ. And I have been all over the world 
I have been in temples and I have been in mosques and I have seen demons and I have seen idols. And I can tell you this, that there is not a so-called God under the sun that can do what our God did when he died on the cross and by the power of his blood made it possible for prostitutes to worship God next to the men that abused them as a family. That's what it means when we say we want to see God's kingdom come and we want to see his will be done in the United States of America and Canada and all the countries of the world as it is in heaven. And I want you to leave here today and I want you to take that story and I want you to bind it to your heart and I want you to sit there and say, can that happen in my city? In the darkest places and the darkest families, can it happen there? And I can tell you, it has happened, it is happening, and it will happen until Jesus Christ comes back as long as you choose to be disciple makers, as long as you choose to go to the darkest places, as long as you don't care about your reputation because all you can care about is what Jesus will say to you when you stand in front of him at the end of days. And if we can do that, we can change this world. It is our passion for us to transform our cities together. We'd love for you to join us. This can happen right here, right now, in your city. Thank you. I'm Paul Watson, and this is Rebecca Ewing, and you've been listening to the CDM Podcast. Like, share, five-star rate, and review this podcast. You can listen to our full premium content by becoming a $5 a month supporter on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash faithworks, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash faithworks, or click on the link in the description. Thanks for listening to the CDM Podcast. To hear part two, become a supporter on our Patreon page. If you're listening in the CDM app, you can click below or you can find the link in the description. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com or download the Contagious Disciple Making app.